This program is brought to you by Genly Productions. At genlyproductions.com, you can find resources to nourish and inspire, including home retreat kits, home study courses, books, and accessories. You can also join our free Emerging Icons video series, or sign up to get good mail the old-fashioned way and receive our full-color, magazine-ish catalog in your mailbox. Genly Productions. Hold the possibilities in your hands. I'm Jen Lee, and you're listening to Retrospective. Today, I'm so happy to be speaking with artist, author, and teacher Liz Lamaru. Um, we're speaking um, long distance. She's talking to us today from her home in Washington. Liz is the author of Inner Excavation, and she's also the creator of the Be Present Retreats. And um, and like many of us creatives, she does a myriad of things. So thanks for taking the time to talk with us today, Liz. Thanks, Jen. I'm delighted to hear your voice today. And, um, you know, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is this new project you've come out with this year, but it's funny because we've actually, it's a collaboration (laughs) (laughs) of sorts. Um, so it's, um, it's something that we've done a little bit together. So Mm -hmm. I wanted, maybe we should just start with telling the story of how it came to be that, um, you had this work you wanted to create in the world and that we, kind of found our way to each other and teamed up with it. Mm -hmm. I love that. So back in 2006, I started doing this meditation that I call the mirror meditation. And it really changed my life in super significant ways because I would stand in front of the mirror, literally just stand there and look at myself. And through the act of just breathing and trying to be gentle with all that internal language coming up, inside my head, I began to see myself in a new way. I looked at myself with more softness when I looked in the mirror, and um, it began to become a way for me to almost have a meeting with myself. And so I wanted to have a container to put that work in the world, that what I had learned, the idea of doing that meditation, the different ways a person could do it, how scary and awesome it is, But I was having trouble figuring out the best way to do it. It obviously wasn't going to happen at a retreat with 20 women in a room looking in a mirror. (laughs) It wasn't going to happen necessarily in an e-course. Or I couldn't, I wasn't able to find the beginnings of how I would do it in an e-course. And then um, you came out with your first, um, what what do you you call it? Not a course exactly. Um, The curriculum for finding your voice. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember sitting at my laptop looking at that binder and thinking, oh, my gosh, Jen is going old school. This is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) In this day where we're doing everything online and I talk about how the magic lives in my little laptop, my little gray box, um, you were putting this important work in the world in a more old school way where it was going to arrive through the mail in someone's hands and then they'd have the audio of, of you talking about the curriculum, telling stories to be their companion with the workbook. And um, 
I felt like I had to talk to you about it. And so I picked up the phone and called you. And we had such an awesome conversation that day about um, so many different things. But I ended up feeling comfortable enough to risk saying, okay, what you did was awesome. And I'm trying to figure out a way to put something that I love in the world. And you magically said, well, we could do this together. (laughs) And, And it became this really beautiful gift of feeling seen by another teacher that I um, look up to and appreciate the work that you're putting in the world, but also this gift of uh, you didn't at all act like I was going to be stepping on your toes if I wanted to put my work into the world in this way of, you know, a CD of stories and some sort of, at the time we thought workbook and it morphed into something else, of course, but um, there was such a generosity and understanding in our conversation which, which felt a little new to me at the time because a few years ago, and it's still a theme right now sometimes, you know, there's so much comparison and, um, and competition of sorts as people try to get more students for the work they're doing. And what I loved is through our conversation and collaboration, it became more about how do we put this important work into the world so people's lives can be better. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that kind of phrase that came up through our conversations of when I said something like, Jen, I think all the work I do is really to invite people to feel less fucked up and alone all the time. Mm -hmm. And you deeply got that. So that's kind of how it began. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting too is that um, even prior to that, I I think our work has had kind of kindred threads Mm -hmm. um, and been running parallel even before that, I remember one thing we talked about in that conversation was that I remember saying to you, like, it feels like my work doesn't fall exactly just in the creativity circle and it doesn't fall exactly in the soul work, soul Uh care circle, but it's where those two worlds overlap Uh and that you really got that because that's where your work really lives too. Uh And, um, I remember for me just feeling a lot of comfort in just having that affirmation of like, okay, and it's not just my imagination that, that there's a place where those worlds interact and right. overlap and I'm not alone in there. Mm-hmm. I'm not the only one, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who, who's seeing it this way. And because it seems to me like it's more about for the work we're doing, here are some ways that it's worked for me. And here's some stories about the ways it's worked for me. But it's not about, um, I can fix you. Right. You know, if you choose me as your teacher, I will fix you. Both of us aren't really interested in that path. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that other teachers realize that that's maybe the message that they're giving. But some people, I think, um, you know, we think of teaching as a helping field. I have a good friend who is really um, sweetly triggered by that word helping. I laugh because I can hear her voice in my head saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're trying to say this out loud. But she's really triggered by that word helping because she wants to share what she knows. But that idea of um, people getting confused and thinking it's about fixing um, really concerns her. And what I love about the idea of putting work in people's hands and saying, here's some stories and here's a workbook or in the case of the gift of this moment, here are a couple of journals to inspire you to, as I use the image in an excavation, to get in your dig site, 
to get into your dig site and do the work, but to know you're not alone doing the work. And that's a piece where it's more about being a companion mm. as opposed to a guru. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that. So I'm wondering if people listening would be curious to hear about just what that process looks like then to go from saying, okay, I have this idea of something and I'm not sure what form it should take to having something that's completed that you can then share Mm -hmm. with others. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that process is? Sure. Or what it's like? Sure, sure. So it feels funny to me to call it a process because in a way, don't you just feel like we're just kind of, um, walking through a jungle and then suddenly glimpsing each other <laughs> and then walking through a jungle <laughs> and then, oh, wait, I have a headlamp I can put on and, like, realizing <laughs> you have these tools because I think that's part of it. I think people people often see a completed project, whether it's a book or a course or a retreat or whatever, and just think, how did she come up with that idea or how did that all fall into place? And I think sometimes, you know, I Kelly, my friend Kelly Barton and I were talking about how I have this new studio. And I'm sitting in it right now, and it's got this beautiful blue color on the wall, and it's messy from use, but, you know, overall, it, everything has a place. And and so it must, I, I can imagine people thinking, well, she has that studio, so she just must sit in there in her favorite outfit and just do all this work. When in reality, every day, it's like sometimes slogging, not every day, but often, it's like slogging through mud, and the walls happen to be a pretty blue color. <laughs> If there's still mud everywhere, I'm still super dirty and in pajamas and haven't showered and am drinking cold coffee. Um, that's kind of the reality it feels like for me sometimes. So to kind of answer your question, it's a lot of conversations. And in this case, a lot of them happen between you and me since you were producing and collaborating with me on the work. And a lot of, should we do it this way? What do you think about this? And And then... To be totally honest, then a very scary experience of telling stories in a microphone in a recording studio in New York City. <laughs> so, <laughs> in the midst of all that, there were moments of this is it. You know that um, the way, the only way I, I felt that the mirror ta- that an introduction to the mirror meditation made sense was to tell the stories of how it's helped me. And then to create a journal where people would write down their own experiences while they were doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, once we had that piece, I think, the other pieces began to fall into place when we knew it wasn't going to be a workbook. Mm-hmm. It was going to be more of a hands-on, something that you would toss in your bag when you go on a weekend trip, something you would just have with you so that you might end up doing your you know, mirror meditation for 30 seconds in the bathroom in Nordstrom. Who knows? that you'd be able to carry it with you and write down your thoughts of how it was changing you or how hard it was or how you were easing into it in a way that felt unexpected. Once we kind of had that idea, I think then began to fall into place. But I never thought when this began that we would be including a book of my poetry. Mm. And that is definitely an idea that you gently firmly pushed me on as we, I think we were sitting in your bed, (laughs) on your bed in your apartment, and I was telling you this story that's um, on the CD and the gift of this moment about taking a a book of Mary Oliver's poetry down to the ocean and reading it. Um, And you said to me, I think this, this 
this kit we're creating has to include a book of your poetry. And I sat there and I, I mean, I don't know if there was a clock ticking, but if there was, I was listening to only it. <laughs> like I, I just felt like, oh no, this isn't what I had in mind. <laughs> um, even though at the same time, I was feeling this invitation to feel worthy of um, someone I, you know, look up to thinking that my poetry would be worthy of this, of that, you know, to, to all be together in a book. Um, yeah, so those are pieces for sure that, of how it all, all this logging through the mud and then these bright moments of, really, do you really think this? Yes, let's do it this way. Um, yeah. What do you, what, can I ask a question? Yeah. <laughs> what do you remember about, do you, do you remember when you, when we, like, I don't remember which one of us was thinking it, but this idea of, um, we wanted it to feel like people were opening up a gift and we were looking at different ways that that gift could come to them. Was it going to be in a box? Was it going to be in a bag or whatever? And that yeah. idea of. I remember it was, I remember actually we were at Pike's Peak Market in a tea house over a cup of tea. That's when I realized as I was listening to you talking that the workbook that I, the workbook that I'd used before was not going to be the right mm -hmm. vehicle mm -hmm. for, um, for the practices that you had to share. Um, I, I remember really clearly being like, okay, it's not that. And one of the things when we first talked was I remember like I can really remember having young kids and um and Ellie Jane was really little <laughs> when yeah. we started this conversation. Yeah, she wasn't even one yet. Yeah, she wasn't even one. Yeah. And I remember thinking you know, just remembering how little time and energy I had to do my work when my kids were that small mm -hmm. and thinking like I I kind of figured out a shoot to drop things down. <laughs> and I was like, why, why should we all have to just keep reinventing the wheel? Mm. If I have this shoot and we can just drop your work down it too. Like it felt really easy. Yes, <laughs> totally. It did. That's the other thing we should say that these conversations always start with me saying at some point, I don't think it would be that hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's very true. I think it it's could very be true. just really simple. And it feels, yeah. and maybe that's how we get tricked into things. Mm -hmm. Like when you get married and you're kind of like in La La Land, because yeah. if you were in one of your sobering moments, you would never walk down the aisle. <laughs> it just feels like you have these like La La moments where you're like, that wouldn't be so hard. Totally. When I remember that idea we were talking about of literally we could drop the, you know, I, I would need to write this much material. We would want this much room for kind of journaling and other things where the person reading it could write. But you had kind of the basic platform, for lack of a better word, already in place, and we could drop it in. But that isn't how it unfolded at all, hence the slogging through the mud image I mentioned earlier. <laughs> well, I think it, well, I think it takes something. I think it takes a, a lot of courage to say the way we have done it in the past doesn't work, and we're yes. going to need to pioneer a new way mm -hmm. and reimagine um, just because there's nothing to reference in the past, we can't say, well, do it like your other thing that you did right. or mm -hmm. like my other thing, but to create something totally new. But I think it just all really came from what these, what were really the practices 
for reflective living that you had really cultivated in your own life and really looking at what it was the best way to help people experience those things in their own life. Okay. And I think that one other misconception that people often have, you were talking about your studio, but and or what people think when they see a finished project is that um, it's not really done, <laughs> even right. once it's done, you know? Right. So um, even though the gift of this moment, like it now exists, you can purchase it online, it can arrive in your mailbox. It doesn't even really mean for us that this work is done because you and I are still in an ongoing conversation and inquiry about what's the best way for people to interact with this. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, maybe it's better if they don't get it all at once. What if there was an option where people could get one practice in the mail every month for three Mm -hmm. months? And what are the different supports that would make a difference to people? And is it possible having an online component to partner with their in-person sacred objects? You know, that it's an ongoing conversation for us that we're not really like, check, done. Right. Well, that and that desire to still be the companion, not right. the person who just dropped you off and said good luck. Right. Um, but wanting to still be in conversation because it all feels like conversation to me now. Um, and I think that by our conversations and you talking to me about um, when we first were talking about this project, I remember you saying to me, I want you to make a list of all the stories that you could imagine being included in this, in, in the time, in this workbook, in this collection. And I, I had a list for probably 15 months on my bathroom medicine cabinet mirror that I had written because I kept forgetting to write it down someplace else. And it was the important list of stories I wanted to share. And it, some of them fell into this project and some of them didn't, but it was the first time I started thinking about having kind of a way to catch the stories and that I might tell them now and I might tell them later, but that piece of turning it into a conversation. So as I share the stories I want to hear stories back from the people listening Mm -hmm. and how do we facilitate that happening once a project is in the world. So that's the type of thing that we talk a lot about now Mm -hmm. and we're still figuring it out um, because, you know, that way of, of getting feedback from people in this kind of internet world, it can be hard to try to kind of think about what your audience most wants or needs And so we're always looking for ways to kind of um, assess that and also access it, I guess, um, too. And we're always kind of sending things out into the abyss. Mm -hmm. And everything is really an experiment. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the other thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. It's a lot. That's another thing about you're making this distinction between being in a conversation, being a companion on a journey versus just dropping off, you know, a piece of wisdom in people's laps. Uh Um, Uh But it's another thing about it to say, you know, that we're not creating from a place of expertise. Right. And, but that we're really creating things that are new. Uh and, um, And trying things in ways that haven't been done before. And thinking about what would we, you know, what would we want? Think, right. you know, I remember thinking, or I remember talking to you about, can you imagine getting in the mail a collection of um, 
you know, in this case, we literally were calling them a collection of practices for reflective living, a collection of good things that someone is saying to you, hey, these practices have changed my life and have helped me. And when I used them on the days that were just regular days and, and I practiced them, then when the shit hit the fan, I was able to stay a bit more grounded in who I am because these practices were in place. So to, so to receive that gift in the mail felt like, yeah, I'd want that. <laughs> Can I have one of those? Right. And so we began to see it as, you know, um, literally a gift people would receive. But translating that through, you know, blog posts, through um, a trailer and all of those things can be hard. It's really because, mm-hmm, because we really just want to, I mean, I, I remember I was working with a business coach at the earlier this year and she said to me, well, tell me about this project. And I, rem- I said something like, this is what I believe. If you start looking in the mirror for one to five minutes a few times a week, if you start using your camera to capture the everyday beauty in your life, if you do those two things and you add a dash of poetry, I believe that those three practices will change your life, period. They'll change your life and they'll crack you open and help you feel less alone at once. And she said to me, okay, sign me up. It was like, boom, you know, but would that be enough as that if that was the only copy we used to try to sell it, <laughs> you know, she, she knows me. So she could hear the conviction in my voice and I probably was louder and more intense because we were having a bit of an intense conversation. Um, but you know, that's what I want to say. Um, but then it becomes, well, what, who are we trying to reach and what does that audience, um, you know, want? And we're wanting to do that from a more authentic place as opposed to from a place of what can we get them to buy, which is so icky and not what I'm interested in. Um, right. So it becomes yeah. more about crafting an invitation instead of crafting a sales pitch. Mm-hmm. And to me, one of the differences is that if an invitation is well crafted, then the people who for whom what you're offering is a good fit will be drawn in. The people for whom it's not a good fit will not. Mm-hmm. And no one will feel like there's something wrong with me if I don't get this. Mm. Right? Right, yes. That's it, isn't it? That's it. Where totally. sometimes mm-hmm. I think the sales pitch is really... Um, tap into some fear that says, if you don't get this, you're not going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a different thing to be coming from a different place that says, you're already okay, but if this could bring you some comfort or ease or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that along the way, some encouragement, then this could be for you. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I keep thinking we we did think a lot about what would I most want. And one thing that was cool for me about working with someone else's material and helping in that production was that I wanted to finish so that I could have these things for myself. (laughs) Where I was like, oh my gosh, I need that journal really badly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I forgot about how, um, how that book of poetry was such a thing for you. But Mm -hmm. when we finished, I have to say, I feel like it's my favorite part. Mm -hmm. And I immediately just wanted to give it to everyone I knew. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I give, I, I gift it to people a lot because it's so exquisite and it's so accessible. And I feel like, um, people can open its pages and just automatically say like, yes, exactly. Yes. Mm. Um, so I love that about it. And it's a, I don't know, it's a different sort of pride, I think, where I, I don't know, maybe we feel a different kind of permission to be proud of, of each other's work mm, yes. in a way that's harder to be maybe so proud as our, of our own or to see our own mm-hmm. as clearly and to, to have that same conviction of like, people need this, people will love this, people will be so glad we made this. It's almost easier for me to see that about your work than it is to see it about my own. Mm-hmm. Do you know? I to- yeah, to- totally understand that. When I am planning retreats, I often will have people, I'll invite teachers to, to come, but it might be the first time they're teaching in person. And it's because I see them and I know them. And so I see the, I see the kindness, I see the openness, I see um, the ability there that they maybe can't see. And they think, oh my gosh, I'm going to come teach at one of these retreats. Um, but in reality, I can see it's going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. And, and in that case, I'm going to be a companion right there with them, just like you were to me as we were doing the gift of this moment. But that, that piece of um, how we can see someone else's work, I mean, because I'm thinking about the logistics of, well, we were both thinking about the logistics like this. How many poems do we need? How many pages are we going to include any photography? But you're thinking about it from the perspective of, um, you know, producing. I'm thinking about it from the perspective of, holy crap, I'm going to need to write how many poems? <laughs> what do I have in my archives that I want to tweak or use? You know, and I remember saying um, to my friend Jenna, who is a writer and an editor, um, do I, does there have to be a theme? Does the collection of this poetry, you know, because a lot of times people put out chapbooks that have a theme to them. And I, is, it all, is it all even going to be connected? And she said, Liz, you wrote them all. So it already is connected. Mm-hmm. And it was such a simple, obvious truth but I needed to be reminded that it was okay if they didn't all sound the same because how boring would that book of poetry be if it felt like the same poem, you know, 20 times. Um, yeah. And it, 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 you were able to see what I um, see now mostly, <laughs> but what I couldn't see at the time of how people, how much people would enjoy holding these poems in their hands and being able to turn to them in moments where they were feeling alone. And that's the piece for poetry, which I can passionately talk about, how poetry is a lifeline for me, how it's a companion for me, and how I have my go-to poems. I talk about them being on rotation, like records that I turn to. And when, when I'm in a dark place or when I need to be reminded of the beauty that will um, exist even though I'm feeling grief, you know, all those types of things. I have poems and poets I turn to. And um, and I believe that, I'm just going to be just totally honest and say I believe that my poetry is worthy of that. Um, but it was hard to feel that way when we were starting it. Mm. Well, I'm really curious for you to share a little bit too about, y- you've had a variety of experiences um, 
even as an author, like you have a book that you've published through a traditional publisher, you have an Etsy shop, you have live events, and we um, we have this project that we've done um, independently with through more of like a small press model. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I think people would be curious to hear a little bit about what your experiences are like, or I don't know, anything you want to say to speak to that, because I think there aren't very many people who whose experiences kind of run that spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, there are authors who are either just doing traditional stuff or just doing um, small press or people who are just doing an Etsy shop, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm curious totally. about what, what have you found to be... Um, to be most inspiring or life-giving or how do you how do you choose which mm-hmm. avenue you're going to send your work through mm-hmm. so um this i started writing my blog in 2005 and um that summer i went on a yoga retreat and one of the exercises we did um was to answer a few different questions that led to creating a paragraph about what we wanted our work in the world to be. And one of the lines in my paragraph was something about how I want to write the truth so that others will feel less alone. And um, I wasn't yet writing a blog, but I was reading a lot of blogs at that time. I was a lurker, as I think we would call it back in 2005. And, um, And then I started writing on my blog And that birthed kind of a creativity in me that had been dormant for a long time, paired with kind of some grief I had been experiencing. So the two together, finding the beauty in the everyday. And so that piece about wanting to tell the truth so that others feel that they're less alone has become kind of a mission statement of sorts, I guess, um, that I didn't expect it to be, but, but it is. And, um, I look for projects that are in alignment with that. And I don't, I don't always have it on my radar. It's not like I sit and look at a list of possible projects and think which one falls under the category of me being able to tell the truth. Um, that's not really it. It, it, it. Because I hope to tell the truth always, I guess, in an obvious way. But, but what I mean is I look for projects where I can show up as myself in the most kind of authentic way that I can and share stories of where I've been and where I am and where I hope to go. And so those different projects um, that you mentioned all kind of fall into that category for me. And that's the thread that weaves them together. And I think that um, you and I had a conversation, I think that when you referenced earlier in Pike's Place Market having tea about me saying, you know, I I feel like I sometimes I'm scattered. I have all of these different offerings. Are they all connected? And the one that I was feeling the most um, concerned about was the Etsy shop because I make jewelry and the jewelry has usually has phrases like I am enough or I am brave or on my path. And, um, and yet somehow I wasn't seeing the connection, even though I obviously was feeling it because those were the phrases I was drawn to. But it felt like, do people think it's pretty weird that a woman who runs retreats and has written a book also makes jewelry? And you said to me something about how um, it's such, 
it's such a beautiful, easy way to put my message in someone's hands. That literally the message, I am enough, or I am brave, um, I am beauty, all those kinds of messages that, that a locket, a necklace that says that is a way to, to teach that truth in a really accessible way. And that often people, you know, want to buy something that is a little bit less expensive, but want to be connected to the companionship and the message that's going on. Um, so when I had that aha moment, it, it all kind of came back to that again, this, how can I share the story so that others feel that they're less alone and how it's all connected. Um, but I think sometimes people can project a kind of romanticism onto someone having a book out and someone living a life where they work from home and have a studio and, um, have an Etsy shop, but it is really work. <laughs> and, I mean, I know that's an obvious thing to say, perhaps, but it is really work. And so I have to, I, I learn and stumble just like everybody else. And I love that I have this book, Inner Excavation, out in the world. But putting a book out in a traditional way through a publisher like that, that's, you know, out in Barnes & Noble, you don't really, well, at least I didn't really realize how, much it would feel like I was putting a piece of my heart on the shelf at Barnes and Noble for people to pick up and either take home or reject. In some cases, take home and reject, you know, <laughs> in the way that you don't always like a book. <laughs> and with the other work I do, you know, most of the women who come to my retreats, they are called to them for lots of different reasons, but they really want to be there and they really enjoy themselves. And people who um, sign up for my e-courses are usually people who are invested in reading my blog or they've read Inner Excavation or whatever. Um, and so, you know, for an artist, you do feel like you're putting your heart out there. I feel that way with every necklace I send out into the world. And if someone doesn't like it, I want to fix that right away because I want them, I want the message to not get confused in the customer service, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, but you have very little control over any of that the customer service piece, the marketing piece, and all of those things, the face-to-face -face companionship when you put a book out in a traditional way, when you know you have a book published. Um, and so that piece has felt very different. It still feels in alignment with sharing pieces of my story so others feel that they're less alone. But having so little input on the way it would be shared um, and marketed was really tough for me and still is. Um, which is why working with you was so appealing to me. It felt like um, I would be able to say, that title is not going to work for me. <laughs> you were going to say, okay, let's keep talking then, as opposed to, well, I'll take it to the meeting and we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, I felt very seen throughout the process of working with you. And when you work with a traditional, I mean, any, anybody listening to this, who is in traditional publishing will crack up. It's not about helping the author be seen. It's about selling books. Mm -hmm. So that is a lot less romantic than it seems. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and one thing I could hear in what you were saying is the difference in connecting with people with whom you already have this kind of background of relatedness mm. and this feeling of relationship and, I think one thing that I realized in working with this project is even though I had done a couple 
you know, I collaborated previously, probably by then, just with f friends who I had known a really long time, mm -hmm. like decade. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, and by comparison, you and I didn't, hadn't known each other so well or so long. And just as we went through the process, it had me realizing really what vulnerable work it is to do mm -hmm. and how even, even to be on the producing side of it felt so vulnerable to me that I was really clear. I got really clear. I don't think I could do this with someone who I didn't feel really safe with. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know what I mean? I just yeah. felt like, oh, I really can't do this with just anybody. Totally, totally. It really and helps piece, to have that friendship as mm -hmm. kind and of that piece. I think that you you knew how vulnerable it was for me to put inner excavation into the world and have it be, you know, well received overall, but really never completely knowing how it had been received. Um, and not having much information from my publisher without going into too much there. Um, so I think sometimes we stumbled a bit because you were so beautifully wanting to gently hold me through this process because I hadn't felt seen mm. when, when writing the book. Um, at, at times I hadn't felt seen when, especially after an excavation was out in the world by my publisher. And, you know, we're continuing to talk about what are the ways to get the gift of this moment out into people's hands. Whereas in the traditional route, that's not usually what's done. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I really honored and appreciated how intense it could be for both of us collaborating like this, because you have a goal of really wanting the people that you collaborate with to know and and feel how worthy their work is to be out in the world. But that means that um, you're much more emotionally invested because it's not about just selling the books to you. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If it was, we wouldn't be doing things the way that we are. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, it, I, I feel like it, it, mm -hmm. um, it takes a lot of courage to say, we're going to do something, we're going to do it small press style, we're going to make something exquisite, mm -hmm. knowing that it will cost us more to produce than what people find on the shelves of Target or Walmart, mm -hmm. and and trusting that the, that the people who, um, who follow our work will be willing to support it even if it's in a very different form, that's not a mass marketing thing, but that's a really unique, one-of-a-kind, exquisite kind of package. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It's <laughs> we so do hard. very small runs of very exquisite things. <laughs> um, and it's more about getting that work into the world and less about what kind of money am I going to make from this? I mean, I think it's okay to just be totally honest about that. Yeah. It's, it really is about what's the best vehicle for this. And with the practices we're sharing in this project, it felt like for their initial introduction, that these are the pieces that needed to be out there. And then as I continue to work with them in different, you know, um, arenas, whether it's a retreat or an e-course or whatever, that people would have access to these stories and these journals 
that and this book of poetry that they could hold in their hands. So that would always be that companion would always be there. Um, even if I'm not always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so great. And the, the final, the final home retreat kit ended up including also, we mentioned the poetry book and the mirror meditation journal. It also included the CD that we recorded that sound studio and then a field journal and photo album to gather those everyday photos you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what do you, what do you, do you want to share with us what you're dreaming of next or, or what you're thinking of these days? Mm-hmm. Any new adventures on the horizons or new, new dreams that you're holding on to? Well, two things come to mind. One is I feel this really strong calling to keep sharing more and more about poetry and and getting more and more people who would never maybe look at poetry to look at it in a new way. In um in the CD I mentioned when we were when we were recording it, I said something about how poetry is like cilantro. People either love it or hate it. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's so true. And I, um, and I wish it wasn't. <laughs> so I feel this kind of strong calling to keep sharing poetry and providing opportunities for people to read accessible poetry, but also to put pen to the page and write and to let go of the assumptions about what poetry is. Um, and I also want to do more and more in-person gatherings. And so I'm trying to be really open to what that can look like, especially since I have a two-year-old and being here with her and um, being her mom is really important to me and, and having my family con- <clears throat> my family continue to thrive feels you know so important to me too. But I'm also feeling this call to gather with women more in a circle and share stories and share self-care ideas and talk about that real hard beautiful stuff that makes up a life to tell the real stories that's great and listeners can find you online at lizlamaru.com yes and they can find the gift of this moment at genlyproductions.com liz thanks so much for taking the time to share with us today about your story and your journey so far Thank you, Jen. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Retrospective. I'm your host, Jen Lee. Meet me back here for more conversations and stories about where we are and how we got here on Retrospective.